Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. Let's try that. We, we got way better response out of Shalom. Good morning. Good morning. I don't speak Hebrew. I understand what that means. And if we were with Merle in Nepal, we would say, Jay Masi. Very good. There's all kinds of different greetings. The reason I picked this song is because this song sums up where we're going to end today. All praise and glory be unto Jesus. For he hath purchased our salvation. Behold how wondrous the proclamation, whosoever will may come. Now I was intrigued as Pete was talking this morning. His mind works differently than mine. And he went way deeper than I have the ability to understand. But I was, I was intrigued as he started. He started off with these words. I can't even pronounce them. Well, Christology, ontology, epistemology. And axiology, I don't know how close I got with that, but that's, anytime you see an ology, that typically means the study of. So, pedagogy, andragogy, and who, however you say that one, that is the study of learning. That's why we're here. We are studying learning. And then the application of learning is also summed up in that. Basically, the way that works, children, adult, and then that's something else. Okay? Now, for my talk today... Is that big enough? Can you see that? Kind of? My study today is thanatology. It's the study of death. Biology is the study of life. Theology is the study of God and the nature of God. And eschatology is the study of the theological last things. Now, if we roll all that together, what we end up with is something called perspective. And perspective... This will give me presenter view. There we go. Perspective is an understanding of why we believe what we do. When we study things, we learn from them, and then that gives us a perspective and an understanding of why we believe what we do. Now, moving into my topic, having an eternal perspective on the reality of life and death. You see, there's a lot of ways we can view life and death, and we're going to talk about some of these things. But we want to understand that there's a lot of different perspectives, but there's only one perspective that works. There's only one perspective that ends with eternal life. Okay, so Solomon started off this whole idea, through the Holy Spirit did through Solomon, to everything there is a season and a time under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 and 2. To everything there's a season and to everything is a purpose. Life and death is circular. There's a list of 14 contrasts in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're gonna, that's my topic. That's where I'm working from. I've got five of those contrasts, but there's a total of 14. It goes uh, a time to be born, a time to die, plant, pluck, uh, kill, heal, break down, build up, weep, cry, laugh, mourn, dance, and you get the idea. A time of opposites as he goes through. For today, a time to be born and a time to die. So the reality of death and man's fascination with it. You know, in our culture, in our world today, man's fascination with death is really a result of his fear of it and his lack of experience with it. Now, if you think man is not fascinated, I just ask you to use your imagination and your memory. You ever walk into a store, Walmart, Costco, gas station, anything, and what do you see? You see death. 
You see skulls, you see crossbones, you see tattoos, purses, shirts, all kinds of things that portray man's fascination and fear of death. So what can we know about death? What Really, what does man know and what can we know about death? What are just some basic facts about death? Death so far has a 100% success rate minus two people that we know of. Enoch and Elijah. Outside of that, if anybody else has gotten out of life alive, we don't know about them. You could say, well, what about Lazarus? And what about various ones? Lazarus had to die again. As did the people that came out of the graves when Jesus was crucified. The Bible says that they came out of the graves and they were seen by many in the city of Jerusalem. But all those people had to die again. Jairus' daughter, um, the, the, the son of the widow from Nain, all those people died. So death has a 100% success rate. Of course, we know Jesus Christ was resurrected, but he still died. As he came to earth, he was in the flesh. He died in the flesh. He was resurrected. Little different ball game. There's no way to avoid it. There's just no way to get out of that. There's no return from it. You can't physically die and then decide you don't like it and go back to life. There's no trial period. You don't get to try it on, keep it for 30 days, bring it back with a receipt, and you're back in life again. That doesn't work that way. And the big one is, is there is no alternative method. That is really what science is focused on in our generation. How can we either push death back or get away from death, period. You've all heard of the fountain of youth. Science and scientists are busy trying to find a pill for death. There's an app for a lot of things. There's not an app for this one. There's no alternative method. So today, what we kind of want to address as we think about this, where did death come from? You might say, well, that's kind of dumb. We all know that. Why do we have to die? What is death? Is my perspective of death accurate? And then what happens after physical death? So let's think about some realities of death. As we think about that, what are some basic realities we can know about death? Or just death and life in general. Physical life always ends in physical death. Minus Enoch and Elijah so far. Physical life always ends with physical death. Physical life determines my destiny. That's a big one, and we're going to hit on that today. Physical life is the time to determine my destiny. Physical death is the doorway to that destiny. The world doesn't have that one figured out, or they don't care. But physical death is the doorway to a destiny. Man's default destiny is spiritual death. If you don't understand that and you're here at Bible school, you really, really need to figure this one out. And there's a lot of men here and ladies too that can help you understand the reality that being born physically, the default position for man's eternal home is death. The next one, spiritual life is eternity in the presence of God and spiritual death is eternal separation from God. So... Where did death begin? Where did it all begin? Somebody tell me. Where did it start? In the garden. Okay, that's a good answer. When in the garden? After sin. Okay, that would be true. But I'd like to take your mind, stretch your mind just for a little bit and think about that it actually began before that. It began, first of all, as a concept 
that was first introduced by God. It was a concept, and I'll hit on that in just a minute. Here's where it was introduced. Isaiah 14, 15, God's speaking to Satan. He says, you will be brought down to the place of, de of the dead, down to its lowest depths. When he created Adam, he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You see, it was a concept at that point because there was no experience with it. A concept is an idea, a notion, or a proposition of a truth. It, a concept does not make it less true, but as opposed to reality, reality is a known or experienced truth. So whichever came first, and I'll come back to this in a second, Isaiah 14 or Genesis 2, it was conceptual. It was a truth that God gave to the spirit realm and to humanity, but neither one had ever seen it before. So taking the case of Adam in Genesis chapter 2, when God told this to Adam, there hadn't been a mosquito had been squashed, there hadn't been a mouse caught in a trap, nothing had died, not even a plant had died. So it's, he's got this idea, that God, this truth that God gave to him, but he had no experience with it. He couldn't relate it properly. Whether Isaiah 14 was first, the spirit realm couldn't relate to that either. Because they hadn't experienced death. Now just a brain twister. We're not going to get hung up on this. How many of you think that Isaiah 14 happened before Genesis 2? Okay, well that's pretty timid. How many of you think Genesis 2... How many of you think Genesis, that was your answer for this session, Russ, unless I get hung up. Uh, how many of you think Genesis 2 happened first? Boy, you guys are all in. Maybe I had to throw a third option up there. I'll just give you, just, uh, this is my opinion, okay? The Bible doesn't specify. I believe Genesis 2 happened first. What else was Satan going after if it wasn't creation and the dominion that God gave man and the relationship between God and man? Okay, just a brain teaser. So Satan's up there. My, as I think through this, Satan's in heaven, and he is observing creation. He's observing God's relationship with man, and he wants it. Prior to creation, there's nothing to want. It's just God's throne. But Satan was jealous of all that. So just a brain teaser. We're not gonna, like I said, we're not going to get hung up on it. Something to think about. So in all of this, the concept later became a reality. Okay, whoever answered in the garden at the sin, that's when the concept became a reality. So there's a deadly deception to death. And that deception came about it was because Satan saw an opportunity with this concept. Because concept wasn't reality. So he had just a little window here. Now, I'm not taking away God's sovereignty. I'm not taking away that God messed up here. That's not my point at all. But Satan used the fact that Adam had not or Eve had not experienced death as a reality and that's where he found his inroad. Look at what he says, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. I'm going to interrupt myself because there's something I'm supposed to say in the beginning from Anthony, if you have questions or comments, there'll be time after this to interact. Okay, what Satan was essentially saying is God is really withholding the whole truth from you. God is just kind of keeping some of it back for himself. He doesn't want you to know this. De this death concept, this death thing is really not a big deal and it doesn't exist. That's what he was saying to her. It's something you can deal with later. You ever heard of buy now, pay later? 
Buy now, pay later never works out real great because it always costs you more for something you didn't like as well as you thought you liked it. He introduced that concept right here in the garden. You can buy it now. You can have it now. You can have the truth. Death will deal with it another time. It's something to deal with later. But the biggest one is you shall be as God's. You shall be as God's. Humanity has been trying to capture that ever since this point. If I can just do this, be this, act like this, have this, I can be my own God. And we're going to see how that plays out here in just a little bit. You shall be as God. So who's right? Because if you remember in the story of Adam and Eve, when Eve took a bite of the apple, what happened? Or I say apple, a bite of the fruit, whatever this was, when, what happened? Well, think about it in the story. She takes this bite, her eyes go wide, and she falls over dead. And Adam comes along, and he sees this woman he is madly in love with, and his whole world revolved around, and his heart broke, and he felt so bad, and he decided in his mind that since his beloved was dead, he might as well join her, and he picked up the apple and took a bite, and wham, he fell right on top of her. And then God created Adam 2.0. That how it goes? No, that's not how it goes. She took of the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam. Adam took of the fruit, and what? They didn't die. Kind of. But not really. So who's right? God is always right. Here's what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. Why did they hide themselves? Yes, they were ashamed, but why were they ashamed? Because they died. They died spiritually at the moment they took of that forbidden fruit. They just didn't figure it out yet. They didn't understand. Prior to that, there was no hiding. There was no shame. There was no, it was just God and man. They had been walking in the cool of the day ever since they were created. They understood that. They had this open relationship with God. And that disappeared at the moment they took the bite, because between the bite and Genesis 3.8, there's no interaction that we know about between God and man. God didn't send down a thunderbolt and said, you blew it now, you better go hide, because I'm coming. That's not what we read. They just immediately had this guilt and shame, and they went and hid when they heard God coming. Death happened instantaneously. Buy now, pay later. It's buy now, pay now. And you, they paid big, big for that. And we're still paying today because of what they did. Spiritual death occurred immediately. Physical death was now introduced and imminent. Remember, they still didn't understand the physical death part. But it doesn't take very long because in Genesis 3.19, God tells them that physical death is imminent. You were created from the dust. You're going back to the dust. We know that the first death recorded was the death of whatever animals God made the, the clothes from. So they witnessed that. But that would have been their first experience with death. Genesis 4.8, Abel was the first man to die. And in Genesis 5.5, 5, now how would you like this on your tombstone? And all the days of Adam were 930 years and he died. Nothing about being this great father or great grandfather or dearly beloved or longed for or all the other stuff that we read about. In these epitaphs on tombstones, he lived 930 years and he died. Physical death became a reality the moment they took a bite of that fruit. They just didn't know it yet. 
So the concept became really two realities. The reality of physical death and the reality of spiritual death. Everything alive has or will die. There's not a tree, a bug, an animal, a man. Nobody has lived from the beginning that will make it to the end. Everything alive will die. Now there is one exception that's relevant in this room today. That exception is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is a get out of death free card. If Jesus Christ blows the trumpet and he raptures his bride, you don't have to die. The only other opportunity there is to avoid death is to miss the rapture, which is a horrible thing. Then go through that period between the rapture, in my view, between the rapture and the tribulation, which is going to be pretty traumatic when you've got all these people missing. And then go through seven years of tribulation and then make sure you're saved by the end of the tribulation and you have survived the tribulation, which knocks out a quarter and then a third and then another quarter and all this calamity. And then Jesus Christ returns physically to the earth and all the, all the sinful are immediately put to death and only the saved are left alive to go into the millennium. You go a thousand years through the millennium and you get to the great white throne judgment. You still believe in God. You don't have to die. Don't think that applies in this room today. That would make, for, if you're 20 years old, that would make you a bare minimum of having to live 1,028 years. <laughs> Probably not going to make it that far. But the rapture is a reality. The rapture is imminent. The rapture of the Lord is coming soon. And we don't have to die if that comes. The deception continues on. It didn't just stop in the garden. This whole thing didn't just get started. Now it's just this domino. The deception continues on. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may deceive. It's the same game all over again. Well, how does he do that? How does this work? What is the deception today? The deception is exactly the same. Over and over and over. You shall not surely die. You can have that fruit, that forbidden fruit, and it's not going to cost you. And if it does, it's not a big deal. Buy now, pay later. And you can be as a God. You get to determine what, who you are, what you want to be, even now down to our genders. Dumbest thing ever. On the very inside of you, at the very core of your being, is something that either has an X or a Y. Or is it two X's? XX and XY or did I have that right? Or is it XY, YY? Okay. Whichever way, you can't separate that. But that's, where the, that's the level the deception's gone to today. Why, why is that deception working? Because you shall be as gods. I can even determine my gender, which is foolishness. But that's the deception, and it continues on today. You face it in your life. Hopefully not gender identities. If so, that's okay. We, got, we can talk to you about that and the reality of that. But whatever it is, any type of temptation you have is all going back to right here. And ultimately, it's that I can be in control. When I want control, I can be as God. You see, while Satan cannot hide the reality of physical death, that's too late for that, he can try to disguise or change the reality of spiritual death. And that's the game. Buy now, pay later. It's not a big deal. So how does he do that? Just some ideas. There's, this is just a, a flavor of it. He makes death more palatable. 
that somehow I can still have free will and choice after I die. I get to control my destiny. Hell's not that bad. Heaven's not that great. I mean, heaven, after all, we're going to sit on a cloud with a little halo on and have this cutesy little harp. And we're going to sing the 5,000th verse of Amazing Grace. And when we're all done, we're going to start over again because somebody showed up and missed the first three verses. That, read the comic books. Look at the comic strips. Isn't that what they do? Hell's where the party's at. Heaven's boring. And people buy it. I'm good enough. That's a big one. I'm good enough. I can make it on my own. My good outweighs my bad. I spent a fair amount of years working with an older gentleman that recently passed away of cancer in his 90s. And I talked to him repeatedly about the reality of eternal life and eternal death. This man was a good Catholic. Mary had enough grace to get him out of purgatory. But his statement verbatim was, my good outweighs my bad. Unfortunately, he's going to have to stand before the creator of the universe and make that statement and say that he lived up to the laws of God whole, wholly and completely. And he didn't. He couldn't. But Satan kind of downplays the whole hell idea. There's 2 Timothy chapter, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 answers and addresses that directly. I just kind of cherry pick some verses. There's a lot of verses that addresses every single one of these points. The next one is God's way is not the only way. Many paths to heaven. All belief system, systems end up in the same spot. Young folks, this is deadly. And this idea is in the church of God. One of the biggest pastors in America, Joel Olstein, preaches to weekly 20,000 people plus. He's got books and, and all kinds of things. Twice. He's been on Oprah once. He's been on Larry King Live once. And he was directly asked this question. Are there more than one, is there more than one way to heaven? You know what his answer was? One of the most influential pastors in America today. He says, well, for me, that's true. But I cannot make that call to anybody else. What's the Bible say? I alone am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father but by me. Now, I suspect and I believe that Jesus Christ has a whole lot more authority to make that statement than Joel Olstein does to deny it. And Joel's not the only one. I'm just picking on him because there's a lot of videos, there's a lot of press about his statement and the, the press kind of gloms onto that because that's a, that's a happy get out of jail free card. Doesn't matter what you believe, it all gets there. Every, and every culture's got their own little system. Every religion's got their own little system. He hides the immediacy, the imminency, and the finality of death. Some of this we've already addressed. Death is a long ways off and mostly for other people. I haven't died yet. Every funeral I've ever been to has been for someone else. But he tries to disguise all that. Psalm 144. This is one of a multitude of verses that are in the Bible talking about the length of man's days. Psalm 90 verse 12 was quoted this morning. Teach us to number our days. Why? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Why? So we don't have to go to hell. So we understand the realities of life and death. That it is real. He disguises God's authority. This is all over the place, and we hear it and don't even recognize this one. 
You see, when he does this, he removes God's right to place expectations or execute judgment. The way this plays out is, is God is a God of love and he would never send someone to hell. You ever heard that one before? It is everywhere. The, or, the, or kind of another play on that is, really, God has no right to judge me. He made me this way, so therefore, how can he judge me? That's Satan whispering in the ears of mankind, and they're buying this stuff. What does the Bible say? It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's going to be a whole lot of people that stand before the judge someday, and they're going to say, but I thought... But I thought, I thought that, I, that I'd still have some choices. I'd have, be able to make a choice. When I got here and saw if you were real or not, I could choose you then. Or I thought there was a lot of ways to heaven. Or I, uh-oh. Okay, well, I thought there was a lot of ways to heaven, and that blanked off, so I'm not sure. Maybe that's telling me I need to quit. Windows P, right, Merle? There we go. You know what? I, I haven't been moving this, I think, and it dropped its connection. We'll just move on. So perspectives. What is life and what is death? Okay, it didn't move on. There. How many of you have seen this one before with the lady? Just a curious thing. How many of you, how many of you raise your hands if you see a young woman? Raise your hand if you see an old woman. Raise your hand if you see both. They're both in there. If you haven't seen this, it's kind of cool to look at. But what is perspective? What, what perspective should a believer have regarding life and death? Because Satan is trying to sell perspective too. Satan's in the business of selling perspective. Laura, you want me to draw it? <laughs> okay, what, are, what is our perspective as a believer? Number one, our perspective based on the facts, based on theology. So we we're going to talk about theology. Our perspective about what life is will determine our destiny. Our perspective of life will determine our destiny. And we'll address that again here in a minute. Our perspective about what death is will determine how we live. Those both are something everybody deals with in some way. They answer that question, whether they know it or not. How they view life will determine their destiny. How they view death will determine how they live their life. So what does that look like? Perspective, satanically influenced perspective. There's all kinds. This is a, this could be a huge list. I just put a couple. One one perspective is is that death is an escape from life. I don't like my life. I don't feel good. Um, um, what's the word that you can commit? Um, yeah, suicide. But what's the new medical term for people that are like? Yeah, but there's right to die or 
whatever it's called. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Life is no good. I just want out. So it's just an escape. Or the flip, the flip side of it is death is a complete waste. I'm just going to get all I can get. Arnold Schwarzenegger was Mr. Universe for several years, went on to become the governor of California. This is what he believes. Spend all your life working and accumulating and doing things, and all of a sudden you're facing death. What a waste. And so he's not preparing for it because it's just grab all you can get. God's divine perspective is that death is a doorway to a destiny. And that destiny is determined by the choices we make in life. Choice, that should be singular. singular. By the choice we make in life by the name of Jesus Christ. Perspectives about life, same slide. But it's a little different side. Satanically influenced perspective is that, this, again, this is a long list. But a couple of them. One is that it's completely predetermined and controlled, and I picked that one intentionally. That's called fatalism, and we're going to talk about that. And whatever I want to be, I can go be it. Just go get all you can get. Just don't worry about any consequences. Just grab it all. And that life, here's the perspective, life is more important than the destiny. That's what Satan's trying to peddle. What I'm experiencing here and now today called life is more important than anything yet to come in the future called destiny. The flip side of that is God's perspective. His life is an opportunity to determine our destiny. Life is the opportunity to be bigger than yourself. Be part of something called the church. Be part of the bride of Christ. Serve. Be bigger than just yourself. But ultimately the perspective is that my destiny is more important to my, than my life. What, is God, what does Jesus say about that? He says, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Does that sound like a fun life necessarily? No. It may be a painful life. It may end in death. But my destiny is more important than my life. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's the, that's the question here and there. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I want it all. I'm not going to worry about the consequences. I want the consequence, and I'll, I'll give it all up for now. So, now I told you we were going to talk about fatalism a little bit, and I brought this up. Do we have, does it matter? Is it all predetermined? Is it all fixed? We can't really do anything. We're just, we're just puppets being played along, and whether I turned to the right or left was all predetermined, because that's where Solomon was when he began the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's why I picked fatalism. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless, life is just circular. Solomon went on in his next two chapters to conduct three experiments, one regarding knowledge, one regarding great works, and one regarding pleasures of life, and he concluded every one of them is a waste of time. But really what that's all saying is that people are just pawns on a chessboard. It's all predetermined and we're just here. Now, I want to, I'll come back to this in a minute, but I want you to understand I'm just picking on fatalism. There's a whole bunch of other isms out there that have the same result. But I'm picking on this one because this is where Solomon was when he began, when he began Ecclesiastes 3. Life has no meaning and no purpose. In fact, it was, I want to show you how I was just blown away by this because I, I didn't know this until I started studying this. And if I did, I didn't remember ever knowing it. Listen to this. Solomon is so confused 
by this point, because it's all predetermined, it's all a waste of time, I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals. There's a red flag. For people and animals share the same fate. That they do. They both die physically. Both breathe and both must die. That's true. So people have no real advantage over the animals. What did Pete say this morning about dominion was given to man in the garden? That dominion has not changed. Man still has dominion over creation. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from the dust and they returned to the dust. That's true. For who can, get this, for who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down to the earth? Now that's confusion. Me or my dog. One of us is saved, but maybe not both. And who's to say that it's me and not the dog? That's what Solomon just said right there. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he is thoroughly confused. So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work, for that is their lot in life, and nobody can bring us back to see what happens when we die. Just work and be happy and die. Or be happy, work and die, whichever way you want to do it. There's no meaning to it. And I'm, again, I'm picking on fatalism because that's where Solomon was right here at this moment in his life. There's a lot of belief systems that try to find explanation, meaning, and purpose for the reality of life and death. But without Jesus Christ, there is no meaning and no purpose to life. Fundamental point. A lot of different beliefs, but without Jesus Christ, there is no meaning and no purpose to life. Because it's going to end in eternal damnation forever. And you can't take anything with you. All other belief systems without Christ end in spiritual death. I just said that. So what's our perspective on life and death as believers? Physical life ends in physical death and it is unavoidable. Can't get out of that one. Physical life is the only opportunity to determine a destiny. And choices matter. Physical death is the doorway to a destiny. And it's too late to change. When you go through the doorway, it is too late. Am I out of time? Spiritual death is the default destiny of physical life. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance or not knowing or choosing ignorance is not going to get you out. It's not going to save you. Destiny is either spiritual life or spiritual death, and it's a forever destiny. There's no do-overs. There's no try-agains. And there is no purgatory. There is no purgatory. You might say, well, that's really dumb. Why are you bringing that up? We're not Catholics here. I'm bringing that up because we're surrounded by Catholicism. It's present in a lot of places, and it feels good. If I end up in hell, I can burn for a while, and Mary's got excess grace. These two concepts have to go together. Mary's got excess grace, and it bubbles over, and when all of you that survive me pray for me and pay money for me after I die, Mary's excess grace can be dumped on me, shorten my time in purgatory, and voila, when I'm purified good enough, I get to go to God. You're looking at me like I'm just an idiot. <laughs> Young folks, that is what the Catholic Church teaches from the Pope down. And when you, when you list it out as I just did, you say, well, that's kind of dumb. I think that was in like, what, Third Hesitations 47? It's not there. It's not real. Destiny is final. And you pick your destiny today. Destiny is determined solely 
exclusively by where I place my faith. And that faith must be in Jesus Christ. Not some grace of Mary. Not some reincarnation. By the way, just I know that I'm burning up time here, but this is intriguing. If you're a Hindu and believe in reincarnation, there are limits. You can only come back so many times. So you die and then you come back up or down the scale. You could come back as little as minutes if you come back as the right form of life. But the longest you can come back for is 200 years. Then you have to die and start over again. And you can only go through that cycle a certain number of times till you reach nirvana or the happy hunting grounds or Valhalla or heaven or whatever their, whatever their current name is. It's dumb. And it doesn't make sense. When you start penciling it all out, what, what is behind all this stuff, it doesn't make any sense. This makes sense. Faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the creator. Jesus Christ gets to be the judge. And faith in his finished work is what it takes to make, to secure your destiny. It's Christ alone. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self, this is Jesus Christ, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, we had no hope, we had no life, should live unto righteousness, by his stripes you are healed. Recognize Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, uh, for all, with, how's that go, the... Um, about my righteousness is not good enough. I'm drawing a blank. Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, on and on and on through the Bible, we can't get there. We're dead in sins. It's only through Jesus Christ. Now, that, we're going to switch gears just a little bit here because that brings up a really big question. How do we live? If we know this and we believe this, that life is when we make the choice or the lack thereof to Jesus Christ and that physical life determines my eternal destiny, how should I then live? And I want to, we're going to go back to Solomon. I, I left off with Solomon in a state of extreme confusion. But Solomon come full circle. He came back and this is what we want to get. Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The next verse. For God shall bring every work into judgment, whether with every secret thing, whether it be bad or good, or whether it be evil. Fear God and keep His commandments, because judgment is coming. Fear God, keep His commandments, judgment is coming. Young folks, judgment is coming. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. When are you going to die? Physically. 80 years from now, 60 years from now. Any of you ever done the tape measure trick? You ever done the, some of you older chaps? You ever done the tape measure trick? You take a tape measure and you spin it out and you put your finger on 70. Okay, you stop it at 70. That's what's appointed unto man, right? According to the Bible. If by reason of strength, maybe 80. Some die young. Put your, hold it at 70 and put your finger, other finger, where your life is. How many years old you are? For all of you, you're down in this 20 range. 
But when you get a perspective on that, you've already used one-third of your life or thereabouts. For me, I've burned two-thirds of my life or thereabouts. We won't talk about others. But it's a, really, it's a really visible perspective of where you stand based on what Scripture teaches. The problem is, though, are we guaranteed to make it to 70? Some of us may not make it through the day. You say, well, that's probably not going to happen. And maybe you're right. But it's possible. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Judgment is coming. How should we then live? Philippians chapter 1, verses 20. We're going to get the rest of them here in a minute. To live Christ, to die gain. Living to die. That's how we should then live. Living to die. Living ready to die. Really, in a, in a lot of ways, living excited to die. The Apostle Paul was ready and excited to die. I mean, this is what he says right here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, for me to die is to go and to be in the presence of the Lord. He was, he was okay with it. But he says, it's more needful that I stay here because of you. But he was ready and excited to die. Now, how's that for perspective? Anybody in here excited about dying? Most of us are not. There's probably a certain age element that comes with that, I suspect. I remember hearing my grandmother say, oh, I just wish the Lord would come or I could die. I'm thinking, not me. I got a lot of living left to do. Well, the older I get, the less fun living is. Because you start to find out that there's hooks and there's problems and there's troubles and there's worries. But the reality is, is we should be living excited to die. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Now, how's that for a challenge? That any choice that I make in my life that I will not be ashamed in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about the forgiveness or lack thereof of sin, but that my behaviors, my attitudes, my perspectives, my words, my thoughts, there's nothing to be ashamed of. What would it be like if my brain could be displayed up there? First of all, it would only occupy a segment about that big. But if you could see every thought I had, every word I said, Every deed I did displayed on a screen, I would be ashamed of that in front of you. What if Jesus Christ was just, I was standing here talking to him like I'm talking to you. I know he's here. And I know he can see it. And he knows it. But Paul says that my goal is to live so that I, in nothing I do am I ashamed. There's a challenge for you. If you want to try to understand making, a, making choices, put that right at the top. Is this thing going to lead to my shame at some point? No matter what it is. Or is it going to lead to the glory of God? But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That, let me ask you, you don't have to raise your hands. Is everything that you do in your body, words, thoughts, actions, does everything you do magnify Jesus Christ? The answer to that, if you're like me, is no. Because I don't have every thought in captivity. I don't have every word harnessed. My tongue is an evil member sometimes. And I do things I shouldn't do. But Paul's goal is that Christ will be magnified in everything. Now, if that's 
if you, want to, if you want to make a list on how to make a good choice, there's two of them. I'm not going to be ashamed and Christ is magnified. Well, anything that, that fits those two things is a good thing. Go ahead and choose it. If you can't answer that correctly, or if the answer is negative on either one of them, maybe we ought to rethink it. Because then we can start getting into motives. Why do I want that? Is it about my glory? This next verse intrigued me. This is not original with me. As Pete said, this is not a new thought. Someone else had it, and I captured it and liked it. If you look, if you have your Bibles open, most of our Bibles, or many of our versions of Bibles, show that those two is's are supplied words. In the original language that Paul wrote it, for me to live Christ, for me to die gain. What I want out of that, and again, this is not original, is Paul wanted no separation between him and Christ. Him and Christ were in lockstep. Him and Christ were right together. Everything he did in life was, was managed by or overseen by or had this concept that I'm not going to be ashamed of anything I do and Christ is going to be magnified. Me and Christ are right together. Everything I do, every choice, every idea, every concept that comes in my mind is run through the filter of Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed and I'm going to magnify his name for me to live Christ and for me to die gain. Doesn't matter. Living, dying, it doesn't matter. Because either way, we win Christ. The rest, just skipping a couple verses down to 27, only let your conversation be as becomes the gospel of Christ. Conversation's a fancy word, long word for your life. You. Only let me be as becometh the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel of Christ? That he came and he died for your sins and mine. And I can have hope when I place my faith in him. That's the gospel. It's the good news of salvation. God sent his only son to die for me and for you. Only let my life be that way. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now, this is really cool. I'm not going to go down this road because this is a topic for another, another Bible school. That you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the, faith of the gospel. That is a great verse in defense of mentorship, brotherhood, community, small groups, prayer groups, church. We are saints together. We're all part of the bride of Christ together. Okay? But I want to go on. And nothing terrified by your adversaries. Young folks, if you don't feel adversaries, you need to rethink your perspective. Because when, when you have the right perspective, when you have the perspective of, of some of these things we've talked about, that it's only through Jesus Christ that there's hope and there's life, the adversary is coming. You just painted a great big target on your back. And the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the bigger the adversary you are. If you don't feel pain, if you don't feel pressure, and you don't feel temptation, maybe we need to do a little self-examination. Because Paul says it's coming, but you don't need to be afraid of them, because really all that is is an evident token of perdition, but to you it's proving your salvation. It's proving that you believe in Jesus Christ when Satan comes on the hunt. Someone who's not in Jesus Christ, Satan's already got him, because the default is the destiny of death. Why bother that guy? Just keep him happy. And then when he dies, it's too late to fix it. For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to also suffer. These two verses go together. Don't be afraid, but you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. 
having the same conflict which you saw in me. Now, how many of you are familiar with all the different conflicts that the Apostle Paul went through? Stonings and beatings and shipwrecks and snake bites and just all kinds of things. Paul says, I experienced it and I'm going to die. He died in, as, a, as a prisoner. If he went through it, we might be called to do that too. And then when we understand this, for me to live Christ, for me to die gain, we get to claim this beautiful verse that we all love in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Most out of context verse in the world today. But when we live this, when we believe this, we get this. Those two are inextricably hooked together. Death is defeated and destiny is determined. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we have the proper perspective of life and death, we can shout this. We can defy Satan with this. We can reassure ourselves with this. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our testimony. Now, there's got to be an amen in here. Come on. Amen. That is what we're living for right there. Because nobody else in the world, except for believers in Jesus Christ, get to say that. That belongs to believers alone. Death of lost. In fact, if you go to Revelations chapter 21, guess what happens at the great white, Revelations chapter 20, at the end of chapter 20, at the great white throne judgment, guess what happens? It says, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Death is gone. Death is like an entity, like a person. But death and hell is gone. But you know what? We don't have to worry about death and hell because right here, death, the sting of death is gone. The strength of the grave is gone because of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. When we get to the point where this is real and this is where we live and this is who we are, then we get this. To him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne as I sit with my Father in his throne. There's a verse before that that says, I will come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. The 20th verse says that. When I open the door of my heart when he knocks. You see, we live right here in this little spot right here. We believe this. We know this. We're not here yet, but that's what's coming. For the believer, that's where we're going. In the presence of Jesus Christ. We're not there yet. We're in the life portion. We're in the portion where we, our choices matter. We're in the portion where we get to decide what is on the other side of that doorway. Eternal life or eternal death. And that's our choice and that's ours to make today. Last one, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. One choice. The choice is Jesus Christ.